All right, welcome in a Tuesday edition of the Locked on Syracuse podcast. Tim Leonard, Tyler Rocky here with you as we are every single weekday on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. You can find us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse is the Twitter name for us. We put out an interesting clip yesterday, kind of of what our thoughts were on the 2022 class. Got a little bit of traction on Twitter, Ty. People excited about that 2022 class and Dior Johnson and the things that are happening there. Some people were also like, that's not a bold enough take. It's like, listen, we don't have to <laughs> hang off a cliff anytime we, we say something. That that's not that's not the goal of what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to live on the edge. Like sometimes exactly. you just have to there's nothing wrong with being conservative every once in a while in your takes. And I think that's what we kind of did yesterday. We just kind of told it how we saw it. We see it as a top ten class. We're not dangling it and rock climbing for it so yeah this isn't hot take radio or first take or anything like that (laughs) we're just gonna tell it like it is here on this podcast but today i think we should start off talk about john rosting wrote an article in regards to the acc called it the acc offseason breakdown and he ranked every single team in the acc as they stand right now basically a way too early preseason power rankings of the conference so the obvious question is where was syracuse in those rankings Well, they were 10th, which probably sounds a little harsh at first, but keep in mind that Rothstein is operating under the assumption that Alan Griffin, the transfer from Illinois, is not going to get a waiver and will have to sit out this season. He laid out a starting five for Syracuse. It was the starting five you'd expect, really the only other starting five if Griffin's not in the picture, which is Gary A. slides in and the four other returning starters. So operating under the assumption that Alan Griffin is sitting out, Rostin had Syracuse at 10th. Let me just list off what the 15 are, because I think we can start there, and that'll just give everyone who didn't see the article some context on this. UVA is number one. Duke is two. Florida State, three. UNC, after a terrible year last year, up to four. And I've seen some sites have them even higher. Miami is kind of the first surprising one. They're number five on Rostin's list after bringing back Chris Likes and a lot of their talent from last year going to be much better. Louisville is six, Georgia Tech seven, Clemson going to be a little bit better as well as Georgia Tech. Clemson is right after them at eight, NC State nine, Syracuse 10, Notre Dame, Pitt, BC 11, 12, 13, and then Vatek and Wake Forest are 14 and 15. Kind of my first reaction to reading through this article, which lays out all the starting fives and kind of the key newcomers and a little blurb on each team from Rothstein is the ACC might be not as good as it was three, four years ago again this year. After a down year last year, I feel like there's not a ton outside of that top tier, which UNC I think will be back inside that top tier this year, but Louisville might fall out. And then it's Florida State, Duke, UVA will be better. But outside the top tier, tie, I don't know if there's a ton in the ACC that stacks it up with one of the best conferences in college basketball going into next season. To put it this way, I, I don't think the ACC is winning the ACC Big Ten Challenge this upcoming season. That's yeah. kind of the way I see it. <laughs> and I will say this, though. Those top four teams that you listed off, I mean, they're going to be as strong as they come. If yeah. you told me at the end of the year those are four of the top ten teams in the country— I would not be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked one bit, but once you get to the back end of the conference, and Syracuse, especially without Alan Griffin included, 
is certainly a part of this back end that's particularly weak. I think once you get past Louisville, that's when you see a, a pretty steep drop off. The there's three or four tiers I, I'd put in in the ACC. Yeah. There's those top four Seth teams, Greenberg which I think on us with the tiers. Yeah. <laughs> the, there's, there's the top four teams. Then you've got Miami and Louisville, who I think are on a tier two of their own. Clemson through Syracuse are probably, or uh, pardon me, Georgia Tech through Syracuse are probably all in that same tier. And then after Syracuse, I think it really bottoms out. But yeah, I will say this, when you operate under the assumption of no Alan Griffin, I think it is very fair to put Syracuse at 10 because the one thing that stands out to me is there is a clear, clear lack of a third scorer on this team. And to me, is Quincy Garrier going to be that guy? Again, this is all preseason stuff. Who knows how everything shakes out? But is Garrier going to develop his shot? Is Marek Dolajai going to be a guy who takes the next step? That one who we've been told plenty of times he's going to have a better jumper at some point, and we haven't seen that materialize quite yet. And are we going to get the Barama Sidibe that we saw the last five games of the year as opposed to the first 25 games of the year? So... Those are all of the things that we need to look at because right now Rothstein has thumbs down on all three of those things that I said. Now, that's why it's preseason and not postseason. So at the end of the season, he could take these rankings, just ball them up and throw them into the trash because, oh, Garrier took a big step. Or, hey, Marek was really good from the outside or Barama Sidibe was one of the better big men in the ACC. Yeah, so... It's interesting how Rothstein lays this out. He puts the starting five, like I mentioned. He losses key newcomers. We don't have to go into them because everyone listening to this podcast knows who that is for Syracuse. He puts the projected bench. Then he has a little blurb on the team, and he also put 2020 NBA draft watch, which I guess is referring to this season. So there's basically guys who are still on the fence of whether they're going to go or not. And for Syracuse, Elijah's the only guy, and we know he's 1,000% going. Right. I'd be curious if there was a 2021 NBA draft watch, if he would put Quincy Garrier's name. But that's kind of a whole different topic. I'm just, because I'm kind of of the camp that that's not crazy to think that Quincy makes that much of a leap just based on the amount of interest in him going into his first year at Syracuse and then the amount of scouts that did seem to like him a little bit last year, despite not showing much. But the little blurb he writes about Syracuse, he says, Jim Beheim boasts veteran experience, but the loss of Hughes' offense on the wing is significant. Gerard was quietly one of the best freshmen in the ACC last season. That's all he wrote. So this is him putting Syracuse 10th, operating under the assumption that Alan Griffin is not playing. I would say I agree with your tiers for the most part. I feel like... After you get past UNC, so UVA, Duke, Florida State, UNC, that's the clear-cut Tier 1. I I feel like your Tier 2 and Tier 3, I don't even know if I'd separate them because I'm not as high as Rostin is on Miami. I, I just don't see why we would expect them to make that much of a leap. I, I mean, they still lost Vasilovich. They still... It's not like their entire team's coming back. Chris Likes is good. Wong is good. I think they're going Cam to Cam Augusti was also solid for them, yeah, too. Yeah, he, I will was, say he this. was really good. For but... Miami, I mean, Earl Timberlake, four-star guy that's coming in. They're going to be a small team, but yeah, they... we've seen small teams have success in the ACC. Nazir Brooks coming over from Cincinnati, I think that could be a, a good thing for them, too. And 
really provide them with with a base and an anchor down low. So you're bringing in experience. Again, it, the the million dollar question is going to be what is the impact of COVID nineteen on the season? Sure. And I'm not saying from the standpoint of are they going to play, are they not going to play, but how does it impact the play on the floor when we do get there? Hopefully, get there. So. Are, is it going to favor more veteran teams? So does that bump Syracuse up a couple spots? Or is it really not going to matter at the end of it? These teams are going to have enough time in the gym together that everything operates pretty much as normal, and these guys can really not lose much of a beat as they would in other seasons. Yeah. I mean, I would say Miami's roster is slightly better than Syracuse without Alan Griffin, but I just don't think it's like, that much better to the point where I'd have them way ahead of Cuse by five spots. And I mean, just think about it. Like Miami's returning their backcourt guys. Syracuse is returning their backcourt guys. You could say it's about even there in that. Well, I I would actually probably give Syracuse maybe, uh, actually no, not a slight edge, but yeah, no, you're right. They're, they're about on par with each other. It's it's about on par because likes was a, top score in the ACC. Beheim was a top score. And I think we both agree Gerard might even be the yeah, I was gonna say, guy next year. I think the floor for a team like Miami is pr- probably a little bit higher, especially because there's more depth at guard for them too. Yeah. But the ceiling for these teams, Syracuse undoubtedly has the higher ceiling. I mean, you could be looking at two guys who are all ACC second team like that, that maybe even one guy, if they really pop off is a first team guy. I don't think both could be first team, but if you told me that both of these guys are second team, or you've got a second team and a third team guy, like that's the potential in these two. And especially when the offensive keys are being handed to them, because when you look at the bottom six teams on this list, Sure, they're in the bottom six. Yeah, that, that's nothing good. But you look at last year, the fifth, sixth, and seventh seeds of last year's ACC tournament have dropped to 9, 10, and 11, respectively. And that's really a, a big result of losing guys. I mean, NC State lost their two leading scorers. Syracuse lost an all-ACC first-teamer in Elijah Hughes. Notre Dame lost John Mooney, who, if you thought Elijah Hughes was important to Syracuse, John Mooney was the most valuable player in the ACC last year. I don't think yeah, there's maybe. any doubt about that because without John Mooney, that team probably wins five conference games. Like I, I I really think it was that bad. It would have been that bad for Notre Dame. So for that, those three teams to lose those guys and really just the bottom six in general, they lost probably three of the eight most important players in the conference. When you look at John Mooney, Elijah Hughes, and then Virginia tech, who's way near the bottom, they lost Landers Nolly to transfer. So there's a lot of turnover in the ACC right now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these teams, NC State loses C.J. Bryce and Markel Johnson. And I saw Mike Waters post an article on Syracuse.com, honestly, a couple months ago now. But I remember reading NC State at 15 on his way too early power rankings, like dead last. And they've just had some bad luck with some recruits as well. All right, let's take a quick break. And then we'll talk about how if Alan Griffin gets that waiver, how much that would change these rankings. We play the game of if Alan Griffin is eligible, which I think we're both kind of cautiously optimistic that that is going to be the case based on... I wouldn't say cautiously. It feels like when you've got coaches and sources and 
and writers saying it feels like 60 to 75%. I think some have even gone as high as 80%. I don't think that's cautious optimism. I think that's you're playing the numbers game and you you sure. really, really believe that this kid is getting a, a waiver. Yeah, it's more it's when you're rooting for something to happen, I, I just get scared to come out and say it and then jinx it a little bit. It's right. Like, but if it, you were yeah. to set Vegas odds on it, you're probably saying yes is about a minus yes. 300 right now. Like that, oh, we're getting into that's the odds. something that, <laughs> right. It's those are very high odds that, that you're working with there. I don't know if I'm quite minus 300. I think I'm 65, 60% on him coming. So that's okay. maybe you're, and I used so to honestly, be. So honestly, you're a little more higher. on the pessimistic side. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm saying maybe I'm cautiously optimistic because. Okay. So you're cautiously optimistic. I'm, with that stuff. I'm recklessly optimistic <laughs> sure. that Alan Griffin is going to play for Syracuse. Right. Well, and at the end of the day, it's we're going to find out, and it's going to be a huge decision. And I think that's what we should get into is how much does this change your opinion? Like, to me, if Syracuse has Alan Griffin and you stack up their roster on paper with Miami, and again, not to just be picking on Miami because they do have two top 100 commits coming in, but you could stack it up with Louisville, Georgia Tech, all those teams that are ahead of them in these rankings from Rothstein. I think, like... I don't know. I looked at this list and I said, if there's Alan Griffin, there's a roadmap for Syracuse to get to the best team of tier two, which is number five, I'd say, or number six, right in that range in the ACC. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that definitely locks you into the tournament. That's kind of where they were last year at parts of the season, and they weren't inside the bubble. So, I mean, if they win that last game at Miami, they're the fifth seed in the ACC tournament. So, right. That exactly. just kind of shows you how how the ACC was laid out last year. I guess what I'm getting at is I feel like the ACC is going to be a lot like it was last year. Whenever they play the games, now it's going to be a different climate, of course. But, I mean, there's going to be a top tier, and then there's going to be everyone else fighting to get into the tournament. And it's not realist, unrealistic to think Syracuse with Alan Griffin, and if he makes an impact and Quincy makes a leap and Barama's pretty good, I could see them as the fifth best team when I just look at these rosters. I'm with you. I mean, I, I was thinking that same question too. So if Alan Griffin does slot in and, and Rothstein has to redo these rankings, how many teams does that bump them over? I think right out of the gate, having Alan Griffin automatically bumps you three teams. That bumps you up to the seventh spot. And to me, Louisville looks like one of those boomer bust teams for yeah. 2020. Are they going to be really good? And because again, they lost one of the most important players in the conference too, and Jordan Wara. I know that's a guy who you and I have picked <laughs> on a little bit because he didn't sure. show up in as many big games as a lot of Cardinal fans would have liked, but he's still one of the most important players in the conference. So when you factor all of that in, it makes me think, okay, so maybe Louisville underperforms a little bit. Then you could bump yourself up to six. And if Miami isn't all that it's made out to be, and they play more like you think they're going to play as opposed to how I think they're going to play, then yeah, you're looking at a team that could be fifth. But I think it definitely bumps them up three. And I think if some of the other teams near the top underperform, then yeah, you definitely can see it. Yeah. I mean, the more I think about it, I feel like Syracuse's season and their team and the ACC 
minus all the COVID stuff, just taking that out of the conversation for a second, this upcoming season for Syracuse, I feel like it's going to be pretty similar to last season. Now, if they have Alan Griffin, I feel a lot better about their chances of making the tournament, and maybe we're overvaluing the impact that he will make, but the question marks are still the same. It's, will they have enough rebounding? Will Barama make a leap? Will Marek be able to hit some jump shots? Will Quincy find out or figure out his jumper a little bit? The biggest difference is they don't have that number one scorer, and I don't think you can overlook that. I mean, not having Elijah Hughes is literally huge for them, and that means that I think it takes them down a notch from what they were last year. But you could also make the argument that all those other guys that were on the team last year are just going to be a little bit better this upcoming year. So I see it in two different ways. First of all, yes, Elijah Hughes was a first-team All-ACC member and a guy who was in the running for ACC Player of the Year. But you also have to think about it this way. Elijah Hughes being an All-ACC first-teamer, he overachieved last year. His numbers as a redshirt sophomore were very similar to some of the ones that we saw out of Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim from a season ago. So who knows? Maybe it's one of those things where, okay, we're going to look at one of those two guys as being an all-ACC first-teamer or an all-ACC second-teamer even. And if they are one of those guys, then I think that means that they filled Elijah's shoes pretty well. So when you take that into account... That makes me believe and think that, okay, yeah, they can be a little bit better than maybe some of these places are predicting because of the leaps and and just the natural progression of being a year older in college basketball. I think that kind of goes under the radar a little bit from time to time. But yeah, it's going to depend if this team has that clear third score because last year they had three guys that could get you a bucket. This upcoming season, Alan Griffin has to show that he can be that third guy and Quite frankly, Buddy Bayheim has to show that he can be that alpha, too. Or if he's not going to be the alpha, then Joe Girard has to show that he's going to be the alpha. Because when Elijah Hughes went out for injury, which we saw a couple of times last season, it was a struggle sometimes to get that offense going. And you saw some ill-advised shots and just some long scoring droughts on top of that. So all that stuff, it adds up. It means a lot. And... That's going to be the difference if this team is the 10th, 11th, or 12th best team in the ACC, and if this team can be like the 5th best team in in the conference. Yeah, I I feel like I'm a little bit more optimistic just about it after seeing what the other teams have. And in a weird way, Syracuse is kind of in like a rebuilding phase if you were an NBA franchise. When I look at sort of long-term, they're maybe getting a Dior in that 2022 class is potentially going to be big, and help them out and it's kind of nice that in these two seasons where they don't have that high of expectations the ACC as a conference doesn't look to be as tough as it has so been in the past for you let, let's play a hypothetical game here yeah I have my answer for this and I want to see it's if it's the same as yours who has to be the best player on Syracuse if they are the fifth best team in the conference Joe Girard so you think Girard has to be the best player on Syracuse because I think my answer is actually buddy because I think Joe Girard's gonna take a next step no matter what because we saw him really come into his own sure you'd like to see the shooting percentage maybe go up a little bit but I think it's buddy because when we saw him disappear in some games when Elijah Hughes got hurt I think that didn't get as much pub as it probably should have and Joe Girard 
it seemed like he was the one who was the best player out there on the floor, at least maybe yeah. not the best player, but certainly the most confident player out there on the floor. And I think if you get Buddy Beheim to play at the level of Elijah Hughes and he's your best player next season, this is a team that can be fifth best in the conference. But even still, that's kind of lofty because I think that's more saying that a couple other teams underperform as opposed to Syracuse overachieving. Yeah, I think I'm just higher on Gerard being that guy as opposed to Beheim, And that's not really a knock and on Beheim. Yeah, I just think Gerard's ceiling is higher. So I'm saying, like, if I were to close my eyes, visualize the best-case scenario for this team, probably 1A or 1B to the 1A of Gerard becoming that it guy. The 1B for me is Garrier becoming a legit, like, really good ACC forward that is taking a huge leap from year one to year two. That That's another player that I think maybe is being slept on a little bit. Now, the injury, too, we'll see how much time he gets to practice before That could really hurt him this summer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and all that. So, And, you know, there's there's tons of time. We, we don't know what the deal will be with Jesse Edwards. And that Alan Griffin question, I mean, it is the big question mark right now as we look forward to next season. But that's enough basketball talk for now. We're going to have some fun after a quick break. There was an article that surfaced the other day and it was a conference realignment potentially after covid kind of a joking article but it threw out a conference that is they labeled the yankee conference they put syracuse in with some familiar foes kind of and realigned it we'll discuss what that would mean or what that world would look like for syracuse All right, so Pat Forty writes this article, and he kind of admits that it probably won't happen for financial reasons, but he's basically realigned college basketball, college football, the NCAA as a It was mostly college football. Yeah, mostly college football because... Because it only included 120 teams. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I think he he was basically mostly college football lens when he wrote this, I should say, and... The big kicker here is the Yankee conference he comes out with. He has all these names. He's got a Deep South conference, a Rocky Mountain. He comes out with the Yankee conference, and, of course, it is the Northeast schools. And let me just first give all the teams that are in this conference that Syracuse is in in this hypothetical realignment. you got Pittsburgh, Penn State, Rutgers, Navy, Temple, UMass, Maryland, UConn, Army, Boston College, and then Buffalo. So I think we're at odds here on this tie a little bit because I saw this and I'm just thinking if we really want to lean into the article and the hypotheticalness of this, if this happened next season, I'd be pretty bummed. I just wouldn't. I feel like the ACC for Syracuse is a cool thing to have because it's such an elite conference. You play a lot of really good schools each and every year. And I don't really want Syracuse to be in the same vein and the same conference as a Buffalo or a UMass or a Temple or a Rutgers in football. Like, even though they've struggled in football, they're better than that to me. And maybe they would win championships and that's all cool. But at the end of the day, I think it's way cooler to play a Clemson every year and play some of those schools down south that are big-time football schools. Okay, so before I I counter what you said, my favorite part of this realignment is the fact that there's relegation. I love relegation. So (laughs) 11 teams got relegated to the FCS, and then North Dakota State got promoted up to the FBS. Um, 
So I I love that. I think that would be really cool for college football so to adopt. Rutgers you, didn't you, get relegated. No, somehow somehow they made the cut. I think they got the the Power Five bump. So, but here here's why I like it and why I think it's it's very well obviously this isn't feasible i think when i initially read this i read it as oh they're gonna do this for a year post covid just because they they need to regionalize things but then i realized because of finances and and conference networks this would be a disaster so it would never actually work out this way but the reason why i like this is because a yeah syracuse definitely wins more games but i really don't see it as being that much different than the ACC because sure you you look at the ACC as being a great conference but it's a great basketball conference for football it's certainly second tier and yes they have Clemson they've got one of the teams that every year is in contention to be a national champion but outside of that it's it's a little it's a little suspect especially when a, a yeah, program like Florida a State is so far off. I mean is it though I Buffalo, mean look at UMass. some of the teams I mean, like, Buffalo's a team that's won the MAC. You, then you look at BC, who's already in your conference. Pitt, who's already in your conference. Penn State would be the second best team in the ACC behind Clemson. And Penn State, yep, I, they even said like they would be one of those teams that probably sees sees a little bit of benefit out of this. But when you're Syracuse, and especially you look at these last seven or so years when you've got one bowl, one bowl. That it kind of gets frustrating. I'd like to see Syracuse play that thirteenth game a little more often than not, and I'd like to see a winning program. And I think this is the the way that it would happen. Now it sounds like oh this is this is participation trophy Tyler coming out right here, but <laughs> I just think that I mean Syracuse obviously is the the misfit in the conference, uh, one of a couple of misfits in the ACC. I mean they don't have that that same level of passion in their football program that some of these other schools do. I mean, sure they have the legacy have when you think of they yeah. yeah, they have tradition, but how how important's tradition when you're playing in in a in a stadium that what? What's the capacity at the Carrier Dome? Like 45,000? 49, I think it was for Clemson. Yeah, 40 to 50, 45-50. I mean, the, to me that that just limits you at, in calling yourself a football power. Yeah, but it's a unique venue that still gets really loud. I mean, we don't have to get into a Carrier Dome discussion here or whatever they're calling it these days. I just, like, how can you not see? I mean, UMass, like, that's a huge UMass step is, down. UMass is trash. Sniffing. UConn is trash. But guess what? I mean, UConn Rutgers? pops up on Syracuse's schedule pretty frequently. Rutgers is going to be on Syracuse's schedule this upcoming season. Pitt and BC, you play every year anyway. And then... Think about some of the the other teams that you schedule. I mean, you played Maryland last year. Maryland's not too shabby of a program. I mean, Maryland's well, they, pretty much on par with... They proved that last year. To Maryland's pretty much on par with Syracuse and, and definitely has the leg up in the recruiting aspect of things. Navy and Army every once in a while... Maybe not every once in a while, actually a little more frequently than every once in a while. One of those teams is in the top 25 and knocking on the door of the top 10. So you're looking at programs that I think are... They're more Syracuse's level, and I would like to see yeah. more competitive football and more turnover in the conference as opposed to the ACC where you know the, what team's going to be number one, and for the most part, you know what team's going to be number two. This year, this conference gives you an open door of who is going to be number two. Penn State's going to be number one every year pretty much. And I guess where I fall is 
I mean, I just don't think this would be good for Syracuse, the program, because why do? But recruits... it's not good for any program, really. I mean, even even look at at a school. I mean, I don't have them out in front of me, but this limits how many Power Five schools you can have. No school or no conference had more than eight Power Five schools in it. So every school is going to take a dip in their strength of schedule, except for the non-Power Fives who are leveling up in a sense. And to me, I think that it sure it looks like some of these other teams are are maybe a little more dominant than they really are, but that's what would make the playoffs so cool because the playoff expands under this format. I think it expands to 12 teams under this format. And when you expand it that way, then it becomes pretty cool because you really don't know how good most of these schools are. And then you throw them into this 12-team playoff format and all chaos comes out because you, you would see upsets. And I think that would be a lot of fun and really good for college football. Yeah, I guess I just don't feel like there'd be as many upsets. I mean, it's not college basketball. Like, these, some of these schools just wouldn't compete. Like, I just don't see UMass and Penn State being any bit close in that conference. But how is that really any see... different from if BC pulls off an upset against Clemson? Because, like, yeah, we see it every because once BC in a while. Because BC has like talented like they can recruit a four-star guy every once in a while because they say hey come join the acc well i mean look at liberty they just entered the fbs and they had a four-star guy or two so and you look at unc weird unc i mean mean, they they bring in mac brown and all of a sudden all their recruiting changes too and they, they are considered one of the top classes despite not being a football power so yeah, you, but you can these schools work can't that way. I that. mean, like, but now that everything's UMass a more even playing level. field, everything that that once the playing field evens, then the recruits start looking at these programs as a little more even. It's not like you're going to the SEC because you're playing against the best of the best. Sure, obviously there's going to be conferences that are better than others, but I feel like when you get conferences that change, or when when you get conferences where the hierarchy changes pretty consistently that's when you're going to even out the recruiting game. And that's when you're going to see some of these smaller schools or, or even a school like Syracuse, they maybe can compete for, for a four-star guy a little more often than, than not. Yeah, I guess I just don't feel like the hierarchy would change that much. I feel like every year, see, if they to me, this I look at five this, years, like Penn, Penn State, State is the clear one. number one. Yeah, Pitt is probably the number two in terms of if you had to project a 10 to 20 year plan Pitt probably finished second more than most schools, but you're going to see a lot of these other schools finish second every once in a while. And the hierarchy I think would just flip on its head a lot more often. I I don't know why do you like, this isn't college basketball. There's craziness because you play one game and it's just like, like football is different. There's too much that goes into, if there's a talent disparity, like, we don't see App State over Michigan every day. We see upsets in college basketball all the time. I just feel like if we ran this league for five years, Syracuse would finish, like, fourth or fifth every year. UMass would finish last. Buffalo would be, like, second to last. UConn would be in the bottom. Rutgers in the well, bottom. I, I just don't care how you could say a school like Buffalo can finish last every or second to last every single year. I mean, Buffalo has produced really good players over time. I mean, one of the best players in the NFL came out of Buffalo. Khalil Mack's a, a Buffalo alum, and, and his brother went there. Now he's he's playing with the Bears too. So 
Buffalo's a team that has shown it can win the MAC. And if you can win the MAC, okay, yeah, you're not going to probably beat Alabama, but could you hang with a Penn State? Could you finish second in one of these newfound conferences? I think you could. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll agree to disagree. I don't know. It's just, to me, it would just be less fun because I feel like I wouldn't want to watch Syracuse play against Temple and UMass. There's less of a fan base. There's less of a bigness to the game each and every game in that regard. And I know every yeah, I get other that. It, team will be It takes some getting used thing. to, definitely. But, yeah. I mean, it's not like Syracuse, when you're talking about facilities and stuff like that, it's not like Syracuse really blows any of these schools out of the water. I think no. when you look at, I mean, they're, they, I feel like they're on a pretty level playing field in terms of recruiting. I mean, we always yeah. joke about the, the Syracuse no, offer sheet. <laughs> How many of these schools are on the Syracuse offer sheet? Quite a few of them. I mean, BC, Buffalo, UConn, Rutgers, Pitt. You, you see Temple region, pop up every once in a while. Yeah, it's, it. a, it's a regional yeah. thing. So I think I think it would make recruiting a, a pretty interesting game among all these coaches. All right, so we'll stop the debate there for now. We did kind of turn into the first takey show a little bit. We don't often disagree, so that was fun to kind of be at odds for a second there. But tomorrow on the show, really fun interview planned for you guys with Demetrius Nichols, who is playing for Bayheim's Army in the basketball tournament. Again, we'll get into that as he is pretty much set to travel out there shortly, get there five days before for the testing this year out in Ohio. And Bayheim's Army's first game is set for Monday, July 7th. The tournament starts on ESPN on July 4th. So we will have that dropping for you tomorrow. Be on the lookout for that wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. And for Tyler, I'm Tim. We'll talk to you guys with Demetrius Nichols tomorrow. Tomorrow.